Well, goddamn. Episode 7 of the Bad Buddhism Podcast. So, I actually, I actually like doing these. As I get more reps in, I start to feel smoother. You know, I got my little format down pack. I'm ready to, I'm ready to rock. I'm ready to roll, ready to roll. So, I'm recording straight from the browser, right? I'm using the anchor format, if you will, where they only allow you to record in 30-minute segments. So I'm going to use that to format my podcast from now on. I think it's going to make it a little bit more palatable. It's going to make it a little bit more uh, easy to digest because if you leave it to me, I can ramble on and on and on, rifling off all of these ideas that I have in my head. So I'm going to use this format and just see if it's uh see if it makes a little bit um of a difference. Thank you to the people that's been steadily listening to my podcast on a regular basis. My viewership is has gone up again and I appreciate every single one of you that are listening. Um goes to show that you guys actually like the content that I'm, you know, putting out or like the topics that I'm putting out. Um yeah, you're going to always walk away from this podcast learning something, having learned something because I'm I'm always reading. I'm curious about pretty much everything around me. I want to know how everything works. Um and I'm into the deep philosophical, spiritual, psychological topics. So if you're interested in all of that, then um this is definitely the podcast for you. Oh, I'm officially including um, artificial intelligence in one of the topics that I talk about on my podcast because I'm like preoccupied, obsessed with artificial intelligence right now because it's just so amazing, so amazing. So before I get into the artificial intelligence segment, I'm going to just talk about some updates that I have. Um, so, um, as you know, I got a YouTube channel. I've been doing a lot of videography work, if you will, on there, where um, I put up content that's a little bit more scripted, that's a little bit more um, targeted. Um, it's in uh, the video essay format, as it was brought to my attention by um, one of my followers, one of my mutuals on Instagram. Um, so yeah, it's the, it's a video essay format. I like to, you know, that's where I go into more of the, uh, intellectual side of my content. And, um, that's how I do YouTube. Um, I'm not really sure if that's going to change in the foreseeable future. I used to do, you know, a vlog format where I would just, I guess, record, my uh, trips to the gym or just record what was going on in my life at the time. Um, but I think I'm going to stick to the video essay format. So if you like that, um, you can head over to my YouTube. Anthony Boyd is the name. If you um, need to know 
which Anthony Boyd it is, because there's quite a few Anthony Boyds on YouTube. It's the icon with me sitting lotus with the two thumbs up with an iPhone in my hand. I don't have the official URL yet because I need you guys to subscribe. And even when I get to 100 subscribers, which is when I can change my URL, I might have to might have to change my name because somebody already had the name Anthony Boyd. Or maybe I can keep it. I'm not sure. But um, anyway, what else do I have to, to, to talk about, to update you guys on? Um, you guys know all of my social medias. Uh, it's uh, at Anthony Boyd on Instagram, Anthony Boyd with a zero. My personal Instagram, the funny stuff with the memes, I love posting memes, is uh, at Bad Buddhism. And uh, of course, there's the website, which is where I post all of my content. All of my content lives on on my website um, at badbuddhism.com. So make sure you go there and check everything out. I have um, insightful articles on there if you're more of a reader and you're on the train, the bus, transportation, um, and want to get a nice little read in. I, I like to I like to blog. I like to write a little bit. Um, you know, I like to write a little bit, have some insightful articles. So um, yeah, what else do we have to update you on? Uh, you can join my email list to stay up to date. I try to pump out the emails on a regular basis, but uh, I'm not too thrilled about doing the whole email, the email list thing because it's not really my it's not really my thing. So, yeah, you can join the email list. You go to um, badbuddhism.com and you can scroll or just it's in the up the, the, the top portion of the website. You can just click the personal power email list. Uh, yeah, and that's pretty much all I want to update you on. So today I'm going to be talking about two topics, two topics today. The first topic I'm going to talk about is, of course, artificial intelligence. We're going to talk about the many uses of artificial intelligence that goes well beyond my usage of turning my home into a smart home. We're going to talk about the business aspects, the the um, the personal aspects for you. We're going to go more into the personal aspects for you as a user. Um, let's see industry specific business functions uh yeah we're going to get into this whole get into this whole article well i found this article on medium it's not really an article it's just somebody just literally just listed a crap ton of websites for the usage of artificial intelligence so it's not really going to be something that's crazy insightful. I'll just read like a little bit of the article and just randomly talk about some of the apps and functioning functions that I think is interesting. So there's that. Yeah, he puts the sections or is it a she? Yeah, it's a he puts the sections. I'm going to go into that article and I'm also going to talk about a very interesting topic that I know a lot of you will find interesting. It's called Solomon's Paradox, which is very interesting, very interesting. So I was going to go in and introduce you uh, 
introduce the topic, but I want you to stick around for a little bit. I'm going to give you a little hint. Solomon's paradox is a hint at how we can solve our problems or at least solve our problems more efficiently. Uh, yeah, so we're going to get into that and yeah, let's, let's get started. Let's get started. So as many of you know, I am obsessed with artificial intelligence and I decided to dedicate a portion of my podcast to artificial intelligence because it seems like a topic that many of you are interested in or so it seems, but most importantly of all, I'm interested in artificial intelligence and I hope, I hope, I actually hope more of you get into the or get used to the idea of artificial intelligence sticking around for a long time. Um, I got a weird tinfoil hat story for you before I go into the article. So I like to surf the internet and I like to go to like some weird parts of the internet. Not not too weird, but every now and again I go to you know the weird part of the internet that you know shares some type of uh tinfoil hat stories such as uh you know giants and uh yetis and unicorns aliens that type of stuff but this particular story was about a uh time traveler who spoke about the the uh future of artificial intelligence and the impending or the almost catastrophic demise of humans in relation to technology and artificial intelligence. So um, I was just on uh, Reddit. And uh, as a matter of fact, no, I saw this post on Instagram. It's this Reddit Instagram page that is called uh, Ask Me Anything, AMA. And basically, the original poster or OP or whatever it's called, um, posted something and yeah, posted something about a guy that they met in the library who was supposedly a time traveler or so he claimed he could have been somebody that's, you know, a little bit, uh, on the kooky side, but a lot of the things that this time traveler said kind of, you know, had me going kind of had me going. So, um, so this story, I, so the story, I'm just going to, to tell what the story is in regards to artificial intelligence. So basically this time traveler, I think his name was Joe or John or something like that. Some generic name that's a, that the supposed time traveler gave to the guy that he uh, met. Supposedly this time traveler um, said that we get to the point in technological development that we we get ridiculously uh i guess i guess detached from the real world uh supposedly virtual reality takes over and we end up fully living in a virtual world or we aspire to live in a a, a virtual world and so much so that we decide to completely upload our consciousness into uh, a virtual reality 
fr- uh, fr- uh, framework or or what did what do they call it? Uh, I think it's called framework. What do they call it in the movies? They have a fancy name for it, but they we upload our consciousness into this virtual reality type of situation, and about a few milliseconds in, the whole system crashes, and there's an error message that says something to the effect of "Don't ever do this again." <laughs> and it was supposedly artificial intelligence saving humanity by stopping us from progressing that piece of technology any further, which is very, very, very interesting to me. Very interesting to me, because if you think about the direction that we're going in, that's pretty similar to how we're living nowadays. We pretty much live on social media. I remember a distinct moment in history, or at least in my history, where people were not text messaging anymore. People weren't Te- or at least my friends weren't text messaging. Still to this day, well, I don't really text my friends, and my friends don't really text me that often. At or at least not as often. I have one friend where we text back and forth, and um, like we can go days with just texting, texting, texting. But it's the wholesale level of texting that I do now is nowhere compared to how I used to do it pre-social media. And I remember a distinct moment where that changed, where people just started living exclusively on social media. And I used to just, I used to get offended. I used to go, okay, well, I'm texting this person and they're posting online. And I would just go, okay, this doesn't make any sense. Like if I'm texting you, why aren't you texting me back? And then you're posting on social media. That's fucking weird. So anyway, I I thought to myself, okay, either this person is being rude or there's a shift in how we are relating to technology. And that's exactly what it was. We were shifting into a moment in time where our consciousness or our attention is fully directed to social media and all sorts of apps that is on that are on these uh these 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 smart devices as we call it. So very interesting story from the 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 time traveler. I'm going to see if I could get the full story so that I can share it on the next episode. I need to remember to write that down. Um so let me just write it down real quick. So yeah, we're we're living on social media. We're living on social media much more nowadays where all of our attention is just super um docked in as you will to the point where some people get anxious or some people get sick if they can't be on social media. Like it's very addicting. Like we're always picking up our phone. And what I find interesting is that we have these these apps, these uh, screen, these screen time apps these days where it tells us how many times we picked up our phone within an hour or something like that. That's fucking ridiculous. It's like showing us how addicted we are, like in plain view, keeps track of how long we spend on a particular app, how long we spend on social media as a whole, how long we spend being productive, et cetera, et cetera. So at least we're being aware of our usage of it. 
And I think that social media is just a step before how involved we're going to be in a system that we we're not even going to be in our bodies anymore. It's just a it's, it's just a step. It's just one step. I think it's just one step or maybe two. Because if you guys have been paying attention to Elon Musk, which he's just like I don't know where this guy gets the time to do all of the things that he does, but um I'm reading a book called The Effective Executive. I think it's by Peter Drucker and it's starting to make sense how all of these uh inventors and billionaire magnets magnates excuse me um have time to do all of the things that they do but that's a topic for another another subject but anyway Elon Musk came out with this uh piece of uh, hardware called Neuralink where it's basically an implant into your brain that allows you to connect to the internet you so you're fully connected to the internet pretty much 24/7 and uh that's that's amazing it it's really kind of like weird how people are not really talking about it as much as i think they should be talking about it but this is my opinion like this is the this is the, the brain implant we all been talking about where we're connected 24/7 to the internet and people could probably even read our thoughts i was watching this uh short film by uh Amaletto on on YouTube and it's called connected where the characters or the the character yeah the characters live in a society where they have these iPod like these iPod like um AirPod like structures or AirPod like hardwares that they just plug into their ears and everybody has this sort of telepathy going on where they don't even use their voice and it's frowned upon to use your voice. Everybody communicates via telepathy. And that's what Neuralink seems to be doing or Neuralink, the direction that Neuralink seems seems to be going in or at least one day will have the capability of doing because it's similar to the internet. The internet we talk to each other without even opening our mouths. You know, here, here here's an example that a lot of you can relate to. When you are texting or talking on social media and you put LOL, laughing out loud, or LMAO, laughing my ass off, I'm pretty sure 90% of you are not laughing out loud or literally laughing your ass off right? It's pretty much the same thing. It's sort of like this telepathic thing that we got going on, how everybody's just walking around nowadays and they're texting on their phone. To me, that's a form of telepathy, if you will. You know, um, And another interesting point that Elon Musk brought up about Neuralink is that um, he said that the, I, th- I think he said the bandwidth is too slow or there's a there's a there's a there's a certain amount of latency between our smart devices and our brains. So Neuralink bridges that gap. For example, you have a thought, you want to text somebody, you have to take your phone out, turn your phone on, and these phones are good now because when you pull your phone out your pocket, it automatically turns on by itself, which is 
ridiculous. If you really think back to the years before where you had to take your phone out of your pocket, flip the phone um, open, press a button to turn it on, and then you can start pressing the keys or the, the number keys to start texting. If you don't remember that, then you're pretty young. You should ask somebody. Flip phones where you used to have to just press a number four times to get the letter R and there was no QWERTY keyboard. There was none of that. There was no touch screen. So he talks about bridging the gap or the latency period um, regarding our ability to communicate to our our um, smart devices and, and to the internet. So that's what Neuralink does. Neuralink bridges the gap and allows us to communicate more streamlined or more in a streamlined fashion. Oh, I could go on and on and on about the amazing things that are out there. But the interesting thing is that Elon Musk creates this and then he warns us about how artificial intelligence is going to be dangerous. Ooh. So, yeah, I might do a segment on how artificial intelligence can be dangerous. But let me get into the article. This article is from Medium, as per usual. I'll be reading all of my articles from Medium because Medium is a quality it's a quality website with uh, quality content. This article is kind of old. I just noticed that. But, it's, it's yeah, it's from May 1st, 2017. And the title is a list of artificial intelligence tools you can use today for personal use. So, yeah, we're actually going to be talking about personal use. It looks like this is a three-part article, and this is uh, him talking about artificial intelligence for personal use. Okay, we got business also. I'm looking at his profile. He talks about artificial intelligence for business, for personal use. But let's just go into the one the part one personal use. So I'm going to start reading it now. Artificial intelligence in the fourth industrial revolution has made some considerable progress over the last couple of years. Most of this current progress that is usable has been developed for industry and business purposes, as you'll see in coming posts. Research institutes and dedicated specialized companies are working toward the ultimate goal of AI cracking artificial general intelligence, developing open platforms, and the looking into the ethics that follow suit. Suit. There are also a good handful of companies working on AI products for consumers, which is what we'll be kicking this series off, series of posts off with. This is a three-part series that looks into the landscape of the artificial intelligence industry and the companies and institutes developing products that are moving the needle of knowledge, needle of knowledge of machine intelligence and consciousness forward for humanity. See, moving consciousness forward, where are we going? See, I was just talking about that. We're moving our consciousness forward, but to where? All right. Okay, so he basically just talking about how he went through, he says, okay, I'll just read it. Here's how it works. I've trawled through, I've never heard that word before, trawled. I've trawled through literally thousands of websites, 6,000 plus links over, over a few, over, over a few of weeks. Okay, there's a typo. Over a few weeks to bring you a comprehensive list of the best AI products and the most promising companies in the field. All right, so. Let's look. Okay, so 
he talks about so he breaks his article okay he breaks his article series down into into three parts so yeah we're gonna focus on this one the part one is ai tools for personal use ai tools for business use enterprise intelligence then there's a part two of a part two where it's ai tools for business use enterprise functions and part three is ai tools for industry specific business okay so he has links listing to part uh artificial intelligence for personal in-home use so he has EMS helps you find the perfect place to live, bridge kitchen, kitchen assistant for turn-by-turn directions in the kitchen, unify ID, verify your identity by the way you walk, type, and sit. What? Okay, that's crazy. Okay, now we have some work. We got some work uses. Yes, personal work uses. One is uh, Carly helps you manage phone calls. ETCH helps you manage your networks into a searchable database. Findo, which is your smart search assistant across email, files, and personal cloud. And I'm not about to sit here and read off all of these, but we got social, which is a series of social apps, I guess. One is Bright Crowd, helps you find meaningful professional connections dating.ai dating app with face search what okay that's that's crazy that facial recognition stuff is really it's really crazy at first i was opposed to it and i said yeah everybody's using snapchat and everybody's getting all these iphones with facial recognition and i'm like this is crazy yada 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 and then my friend said yeah um you have a driver's license so it doesn't make sense hiding your face from the from from the internet any longer because yeah facial recognition probably been a been been out been a thing so okay i'm going to go into the health and medical section because i feel like that's the i feel like that is the most useful place that artificial intelligence can make a difference so health and medical okay abby A health assistant which connects people to doctors for quick advice. You know what? I'm actually going to click into that one and look at that because I've been seeing more people or I've been seeing more advertisements lately talking about remote doctors. I don't really know if I like the idea of a remote doctor, a doctor that can diagnose you while you're sitting in your house. Hopefully... That's not the case. So Abby is fast help from friendly doctors. Trusted, confidential, easy. And I'm on the the front page of the website. Let me see. It doesn't give you... Okay, frequently asked questions. Uh, No, it's not even an about. There's no about me section. So I can't even read what it's really about. So, okay, create your Abby account. Create your Abby account here, blah, 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 blah. You can send your health questions via popular chat apps like WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, and Skype. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm going to click out of that. Uh, the next one is Ada can help help if you're feeling unwell. Airy, hopefully I said that right, personal health coach. There's another one. Bite snap, food recognition for meal photos to help count calories. Oh, that's interesting. Hold on. Hold on. Let's click into that one. 
because you know that I'm a fitness a fitness guy. Okay, nope, this is just an app. Count calories and nutrients just by taking a picture. BiteSnap recognizes the foods in your meals, saving you time and making it simple to build healthy eating habits. Okay, I'm going to actually download that app right now because that's cool. Um, yeah, I don't think this uh, article is very, uh, it's not very intriguing to me, but I'll just read a few more agents and personal. So we of course have Amazon echo, which my house is littered with, which is for everyday personal assistant for in-home. We have Siri, of course. Everyday personal assistant on iPhone and Mac, Cortana. I've never heard of Cortana until a few weeks ago, or at least a month ago. Cortana is everyday personal assistant on PC and Windows devices. Mm. Facebook M, competitors to Siri, Now, and Cortana. Okay, all of these devices nowadays have personal assistants, and I've never heard of them. The only ones that I've heard heard of was the um, Alexa, the Siri, and Cortana, which is recently. And um, that's pretty much that. It's pretty much that. Agents, chatbots, entertainment news, travel, vehicle. Vinley turns any car into a smart car. Really? Yeah. Well, this article is not as interesting as I thought it would be, but I think I'll just include the link to this article in the description of this podcast. Um, and we're going to move on to the next segment because, because yeah, that article is not really that popping. I'm going to have to find a more, find more interesting articles. I guess I'll just kind of like find articles that actually go in depth into some of these specific fields in these specific aspects or facets of industry. So yeah, I'll just include the link to that article in the description of this episode so that you guys can check it out if you're interesting. That article was a flop, not reading. I really don't like reading lists in the first place, but in either case, that article is... uh very informative as to the widespread usage of artificial intelligence. A lot of us think of artificial intelligence as something that's on our phones. And I think a lot of us got first introduced to artificial intelligence through Siri, you know, with, with Apple introducing that, that, that piece of uh, uh, beautiful AI equipment through personal assistant use, but Google uses AI Microsoft uses AI. Of course, Facebook uses AI. We have so many insidious versions of AI. And I think that a lot of us need to really get on the AI train or at least learn about it so that it's not as insidious as we may think, right? So um, what I find interesting about Amazon or at least working in the Amazon warehouse, I don't work in the Amazon warehouse, but I heard that you can pretty much get fired by a computer working for Amazon. So if your productivity is not up to par, you basically wear, I guess you wear sort of like a a, a a scanning device where if your numbers are not up to par, 
the device will kind of let you know, hey, listen, you need to pick up the pace or, you know, you're going to get a warning. And I guess the system produces enough warnings or you get enough you get enough warnings and you just get fired. Just like that. You walk in one day and your, your, your key card doesn't work anymore or however you punch in doesn't work anymore. And um, there's that. And I think that's cool, to be honest, because it's efficient. It's super efficient. But at the same time, it could be problematic because we're humans. And this is the direction that, or this could be the negative direction that artificial uh, artificial intelligence could take us to. Because if we have a computer that's pretty much dictating how productive we are, things are not gonna things are not gonna end well in that regard because computers can be extremely efficient and on the other hand humans can be the complete opposite not efficient enough which is why we build so many different versions of technology to use and yeah so that's the end of that segment i'm going to go into the next segment to give you some insight on a new way to solve your problems. So I'll be right back. All right. So I have some very interesting insight to share with you in regards to pretty much how to solve your problems in a new way, or at least this is pretty new to myself. Uh, Like I said, every time you listen to this podcast, you're going to walk away having learned something new or be reminded of something that you already knew, but intellectually it wasn't in the forefront of your consciousness, wasn't in the forefront of your mind. So yesterday I finished uh, uploading a video on YouTube. Check out my YouTube, Anthony Boyd. And it, it it was a very, I learned something while I was uploading the video because it took me a little bit. I did a little research, you know, to to do this video and to get it to a level where it's concise enough that it's, you know, it's straight to the point, but also has enough density that we can grasp the full effects of how important this concept is. Because a lot of us have problems. We all have problems. And we all want to find uh, a, a quick solution or a viable solution to solving our problems. And one of the ways we can find viable ways to solve our problems is by understanding Solomon's paradox. So this concept was based on studying King Solomon, which was, he was a, a, a ruler of the United Kingdom of Israel from 970 to 931 BCE. That's what my research says. I'm not really a history buff, but that's when he was ruling. So a lot of people consider him to be a sagacious prophet and a a king that had untold amounts of insight when it came to other people's problems though, right? When it came to other people's problems, he had all this insight. He he um he was considered a sage and he was considered wise and to have all of this insight and uh and 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 wisdom in helping people solve their problems but it was said that when he needed to solve his own problems 
he wasn't really too good at solving his problems, which supposedly led to the ruin of his kingdom at the time, which I know a lot of us can relate to. How many times have a friend come to you with advice or, or come, come to you asking for advice and you were able to give them the most sagacious, sagacious advice? Like you just turn into a fucking sage all of a sudden. <laughs> you start giving them some expert advice and you know you solve their problems and how many of you are considered or consider yourself to be uh uh play to play psychologist when it comes to your 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 friends problems they they're always coming to you as uh a voice of reason you're a voice of reason you're able to logically tell them hey look this is what you need to do and this is how you need to do it and this is when you need to do it because if you don't do it at this point, this is going to happen, you know? So this is a very interesting, uh, very interesting concept that was researched as recently, as recently, as recently as 2014 by, uh, two, two, uh, scientists called, and forgive me if I'm butchering their names, Igor Grossman and Ethan Cross. Ethan Cross is straightforward, straightforward name. But these two researchers um, said that this is a common occurrence, which we all know it is a common occurrence. And that's where they coined it Solomon's Paradox, right? So I'm going to read the abstract of the article so that you get a more professional or more scientific perspective on it just in case I butchered it. So the title of the article is, or the title of the study, excuse me, is Exploring Solomon's Paradox, Self-Distancing Eliminates the Self, Other Asymmetry in Wise Reasoning About Close Relationships in Younger and Older Adults. So let me read that again, because I think I butchered the title. Exploring Solomon's Paradox, Self-Distancing Eliminates the Self-Other Asymmetry in wise reasoning about close relationships in younger and older adults. Okay, so here's the abstract. I'm going to read the abstract. Are people wiser when reflecting on other people's problems compared with their own? Yes. If so, does self-distancing eliminate this asymmetry in wise reasoning? In three experiments, N equal 693, participants displayed wiser reasoning, example, recognizing the limits of their knowledge and the importance of compromise and future change, considering other people's perspectives about another person's problems compared with their own. Across studies two and three, instructing individuals to self-distance rather than self-immerse eliminated this asymmetry. Study three demonstrated that each of these effects was comparable for younger 20 to 40 years and older 60 to 80 years adults. Thus, contrary to the adage, with age come wisdom, our findings suggest that there are no age differences in wise reasoning about personal conflicts and that the effects of self-distancing generalize across age cohorts. These findings highlight the role that self-distancing plays in allowing people to overcome a pervasive asymmetry that characterizes wise reasoning. So there you have it. The reason why we are 
wiser when it comes to solving other people's problems is because we have a certain degree of distance from the problem. That is the key right there. Having a certain degree of distance from the problem, right? So when our friend comes to us and tells us that they're their partner or their spouse, significant other, their husband, wife has been cheating on them, we know exactly what to tell them to do because we are at a distance from the problem, right? So when it comes to ourselves, but when it comes to ourselves and we're immersed in our problem, we like we're like fish in water, right? We fish don't know that they're in water until they get out, unfortunately. And <laughs> I don't know if that's a great, the greatest analogy right there, but we're like a fish in water as the saying goes, cliche, but it fits. Um, and we're so immersed in our problems and we take it so personally, like this problem is unique to myself. No, it's really not, to be honest. Our problems are really not unique to ourselves. We can find that things that we're going through other people are going through or have been going through for centuries, right? So these problems are not necessarily personal. So what do we do? We should distance ourselves from our problems, get a bird's eye view and look at it and say, hmm, what should I do, right? You're going to look at it from a very logistical standpoint, distance yourself from it, right? You don't want to be all emotional about it, right? You, If you have a problem and you can solve it, why, why would you get emotional about it? If you can't solve it, no need to get emotional about it. Either way, no need to get emotional about it in the first place. So we take a distance, we take a bird's eye view, and we look at the pieces of the problem and we solve it piece by piece, Right? That is how we use Solomon's paradox to solve our problems. This is a fresh new way at looking at our problems. And I know a lot of us probably know this intellectually or, or, or already knew it. A lot of us didn't know it. But how many of us actually practice this, this technique? How many of us uh, actually sit back and say, hmm, get real curious about the problem as if they were a scientist Rather than brooding, getting on their phone, start to scroll, start to whine, complain, bitch and moan about how bad their life is and how much of a victim they are and yada, yada, yada. How much of us actually avoid doing any of that and saying, all right, let's look at this problem by logistics, right? Um, which, which brings me to the fact that, hmm, I was just listening to myself say that and I realized why growing up, a lot of people, they called me the voice of reason, et cetera, et cetera. But another interesting thing is that whenever a friend will come to me with a problem, and this is ironic, this is kind of, it's kind of thinking about it. And when a friend will come to me with a problem, I give them a solution and they'll go, I, I didn't, they'll basically express to me that they didn't necessarily want a solution to the problem. <laughs> which makes no sense to me at all, but it goes to show how emotional people want to be about their problems, right? And maybe that's a very uh, moon and Libra thing to say, because my moon is in Libra. I tend to, 
if you're into astrology, I tend to distance myself from my emotions and look at it in a pragmatic way. You know, I I I feel my emotions, but there's a certain level or a certain period of time that I give myself to brood over something before I go, okay, 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 time to move on. Let's let's solve this. If I can't solve it, gotta move on. I'm not gonna dwell on it, right? Not saying that I don't dwell on certain things, but I give myself a little bit of time, right? So Solomon's paradox is very interesting in the sense that we really don't like to distance ourselves from our problems as much as we like to pretend that we do through alcohol, sex, video games, or social media. We really don't like to distance ourselves from our problems. And I'm thinking, taking this in another direction or expanding it out a little bit, and I'm thinking that a lot of us like to identify with our problems. And I think that's a part of this uh, study that the uh, scientists missed. Or maybe they're just making a simple observation. I think that a lot of people, if, if we were to ask why people, why people self-immerse in their problems, we can actually make a comment about the ego and how the ego likes to identify. Because distancing ourselves from our problems is a characteristic of enlightenment which the ego doesn't really like the ego doesn't really like the idea of enlightenment the ego doesn't really like the idea of self actualization the ego doesn't really like the idea of obliterating themselves obli- or obliterating itself right the ego wants to identify with as many things as possible, immerse itself with as many things as possible so as to keep on living, to keep on surviving. The ego, ooh, right? A lot of people say ego means edging God out. Deepak Chopra and, and um, Wayne Dyer say that the ego is edging, it stands for edging God out, right? And 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 God is supposedly an omniscient, all-knowing. So when you distance yourself from your problems, of course, you're going to be able to solve it. But the ego doesn't want you to solve that problem because you identify with the victimization that that problem brings, right? So those of you who are self-aware or those of you who are honest about themselves may find that it's easier for you to solve your problems and move on. Those of you who are not, and those of you who tend to be emotional, which not which is not necessarily a bad thing, tend to immerse yourself in these problems to the point of this permanent self-identification with these problems. And you never really get anywhere. You know, you just go through this cyclical pattern of being a victim or having these problems and you know, telling yourself the lie that one day I'll solve this problem or one day I'll I'll get past this or one day I'll do this. And I think that's another reason why, or that's a reason why a lot of us don't like to go see a therapist because that would mean solving our problems. Because what a therapist does is get us to see ourselves from a third person view. And there is... 
an infinite amount of wisdom within looking at ourselves and our problems from a third person view. It's one of my, it's what one of my favorite um, practical psychologists always tries to get us to do. His name is Vernon Howard. You should check out his book, um, one of his books called The Power of Your Supermind. Very, very interesting book. I read that book seven years ago, bought it seven years ago, gave it away, bought another copy, gave it away, bought a third copy because that book is so fucking powerful. So powerful. Whenever I get down and um, whenever I start brooding, I remember some of the quotes in that book and I just, I snap out of it. You know what I'm saying? And 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 that is the type of self-awareness that practical psychologists, clinical psychologists, CBT and cognitive behavioral therapists like to, those are the, those are the, those are the, those are the, that's the level of awareness that these people like to bring to our, to our, to our four. When you have that consciousness, when you're honest, when you're self-aware, when you shed the light of awareness on your problems, these problems, they get disinfected. They cease to exist. And that's why, you know, having this third person perspective is so powerful, right? And this is a story that I got from Vernon Howard as well. And hopefully I don't butcher it. And it pretty much goes like this. So a friend wanted to gift another friend a, a, a house, right? He wanted to buy him a house. He wanted to, you know, get him something that he likes, something that he's for sure going to love, right? The friend is an architect. The friend that the guy wanted to gift something to is an architect. So the guy was very clever. He told the architect friend to, if he could do him do him a favor and build him a house. He said, hey, listen, um, can you build me a house? Right? Boom. So he starts on this important project right away, picks all of the best materials, all of the best factors. A factor is pretty much in engineering, it's pretty much how sturdy a piece of material is. So... When you have a bridge, for instance, and you're building a bridge, you might you might you might make the beams have a factor of nine, right? You make the beams have a factor of nine when it in fact only needs a factor of three to support cars and people passing over it. So a factor of nine is pretty much 60% more than what we really need, right? So the friend included the best factors right? The best material, nothing but the best materials when he was building this house. And when the house was done, he gave his friend the keys and said, okay, cool, hit, boom, I built you this house, look. And then the friend handed him back the keys and said, nope, this house is for you, right? (laughs) So we need to be like that. We need to be like that friend that sort of tricks ourselves into building ourselves the best house, the best home. When it comes to solving our problems or when it comes to self-care, just self-care, self-love, we got to treat ourselves as if we were treating a really good friend, right? A friend that we've known for a very long time. How many of us 
when it comes to picking a gift, those of us that have real friends, that is, when it comes to picking a real gift for a loved one, a friend, a family member, whatever it is, we put a lot of thought into the gift. Some of us get super stressed out around holiday times when it's time to give gifts, when it's time to to, to write a even write a card. We want to make sure that there's no errors, no typos, use the best color pen, whatever, when it comes to giving it to somebody we love. I know I do. I know I do because I want them to have the best. Or if you have kids, you want your kids to have the best. You don't want your kids to do without, right? So be like that. Be like that 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 friend that you need or that loved one that you need or that parent that you need and pretty much didn't have for a very long time and give yourself the best. Give yourself the best advice and also distance yourself from your problems. Look at it from a pragmatic perspective and solve it. Even if you can't solve it, you owe yourself that much to say, okay, let me not let this thing stress me out. Let me just look at this problem from a third person view. And this is, I'm not exempt from this because I have a tendency to overthink. I'm an overthinker. I like to, I like to solve problems. I like to, I like to, to immerse myself in a problem and solve it. And that never gets anywhere because I just go in this cyclical pattern of going over the same things over and over and over again. And here's an interesting, here's an interesting dilemma too. When you're immersed in the problem itself, you cannot see all of the variables that exist, right? You can't even, you know, in algebra, they have, uh, they have uh, variables. I think that's when we were introduced to variables, right? Yeah, algebra. We were introduced to variables, right? And some of these equations describe, let's take the slope of a line, y equal mx plus b. Super, super straightforward. So how did this formula come about? Somebody, I don't know who, wanted to solve the slope of a hill or the slope of of something. And they could not solve that problem by being on the hill. They more than likely had to take a third-person perspective, look at the hill, and watch how it behaves, right? They wanted to figure out the rise over run, right? Why, uh, what is it? Uh, I'm not even going to go into that because I don't want to go into math. I'm not even going to go into that. But they wanted to figure out the rise over run. They wanted to figure out the slope. They wanted to figure out all of that. But in order to do that, they had to take a third person perspective. And I'm not a mathematician, by the way. I have a degree in engineering, but as weird as it sounds, I am way better at calculus and physics than I am at algebra and pre-algebra. Don't ask me how, not pre-algebra, uh, pre-calculus. Don't ask me how. Anyway, <laughs> the mathematician or physicist or whoever had to take a third-person perspective on that hill in order to come up with that equation and see the variables and solve for them, right? So it's the same thing. When you're immersed in your problems, there's no way you can see all the variables. There's no way. You can't, you can't see them. And all you end up doing is driving yourself insane with the overthinking. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this? What if that? Okay. If you distance yourself from the problem, you can probably solve for most of those variables and the rest probably wouldn't even matter. 
because you got most of the problems, most of the problem covered anyway, right? Or at least that's my line of thought. That's my line of thinking. But I know that I'm an overthinker and it's weird. I came up with this. I was uh, surfing medium. Uh, medium. I was looking for something. I forgot what I was, what I was looking for in medium still to this day. I have to go back on there and figure out what I was looking for. I was looking for a certain article and I came across Solomon's Paradox. And I read what it was about, did some research, and I said, oh, I'm going to share this with you guys. I'm going to share this with you guys. I wanted to share something else as well, but I'm going to save that for another podcast. It's a little bit Machiavellian, right? It's Machiavellian uh, Machiavellian psychology. It's, uh, what people might think is manipulative, malip, manipulative, excuse my language, excuse my pronunciation, <laughs> I'm a little tongue-tied today. But people consider Machiavellian psychology to be manipulative. And we're going to actually go into that in the next podcast. We're going to see how many of you are interested in so-called manipulation. But it's not really manipulation. What I consider it, consider it as is it's knowing the landscape that you're playing on in regards to human nature. Right. So the next episode, I'm probably going to do a little introduction or segment on Cialdini's seven principles of influence. Ooh, if you want to influence people, those seven principles, you you should start at those seven principles. Those are where you should start is to help you with persuasion. I used them when I was in a political position and they actually worked. Along with all of the Robert Greene books I read, Robert Greene is amazing. A lot of people hate on him because they say that the books he writes are manipulative and everything. But those people who say that psychology or these type of techniques, quote unquote, is manipulative, got to grow up, got to stop being so naive. We are being manipulated right this very moment, right this very moment. You are being manipulative. You're probably working at a job that you probably don't want to work at, but you're working there because you have but so many choices or you think you have but so many choices. And this whole system that we're in, this American experiment, if you will, it's a series of, and I'm going to get a little deterministic here, it's a series of pre-planned choices, right? And if you believe in fate or don't believe in fate, for that matter, you will probably say that we don't have free will. And if we don't have free will, then we're probably being manipulated, right, by someone or something. But um, which I don't think it's something manipulating us. I think it's probably more so a not a one person, but the way that society is structured, which is not necessarily a bad thing because society does need structure to function. But People who say that these things that I'm going to talk about on the next episode and future episodes, uh, you know, going to be a lot of Machiavellian psychology on there, you know, parapsychology and stuff like that. People who say that those things are manipulative. And so just look around. It's in advertising, marketing. It's why you're addicted to your smartphone. You're being manipulated there. So if you know these type of principles and you know these type of things, you can kind of vaccinate yourself, immunize yourself against manipulation to a certain extent. 
you can see when you're being played, you can see where you when you're being manipulated, and you can avoid those things. Here's, here's the thing. Here we go. I want to talk about these Machiavellian psychological principles because a lot of people think that they're being manipulated when they first start talking to somebody, right? They are not able to see the red flags until it's too late, until something snaps them out of it, and they're able to see all the red flags all of a sudden. But if you had known these principles, you know certain things like, okay, this person is a little bit too charming. Why are they charming me so much? You will know that when this person is charming you, they're trying to get you to like them, which is a, it's a principle, right? It's one of Cialdini's principles of getting someone to like you so that you can influence them, so you can sell something to them. And a lot of you are being sold a dream by some supposed fuckboy or some supposed gold digger, and you're upset about it. A lot of people on social media are upset about it, right? So it's good for you to learn these type of principles so that you can avoid being manipulated and live a life that's more, I'd say, it's more aware, you know, live more of an actualized aware life in regards to human nature, in regards to evolutionary psychology, which is basically our primitive operating system that we operate on on a day-to-day basis, which a lot of people don't want to admit as well. We're going to talk about that as well. So, um, yeah, that's the, that's the end of that. That's the end of the podcast. Make sure you go to my website, badbuddhism.com. I have pretty much everything on there. Got my YouTube on there. Got the, got this podcast on there. Um, yeah, that's all I pretty much have to say. You can join join my email list so I can email you guys. I'm thinking about setting up a text message platform. Might set up a text message platform so that you guys can send in some questions. I think you could also voice note these podcasts here as well. And the cool thing about Anchor is that you can actually call people in on the app itself, I think. So yeah, make sure you check my stuff out. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm really trying to get this URL. I'm in such a newbie phase right now. I got like 24 subscribers, but I love the content that I'm putting up. And I think you love the content that I'm putting up too. It's more of a distillation of everything that we talk about on the podcast in a much more cohesive, cohesive concise <laughs> manner. So go ahead and check that out. Thank you for listening to my regular listeners. Um, this is fun. This is fun. It's so easy for you to start a podcast. You should probably start a podcast as well. I really think so. If you're doubting yourself and you're caring about what other people think, man, you're missing out. Fuck what other people think. Do what you love. And I'll holler at you next time. Peace.